0: I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I am also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Be sure to check out our website and sign up for our newsletter for the latest on the podcast. Today is part 2 of 2 where we are talking to Lila Glass about her novels. After today, you will have heard about writing lyrically, learning the process of things as she went, pivoting as needed while querying, testing out plotting versus pantsing, knowing the major character points and plot points of the series, working with your narrator to nail down pronunciations and character voices, blending genres and developing as an author, pulling from folklore, learning and sticking to your voice and the rules for that voice. The Unseen Elwin is remarkably unremarkable, and she prefers it that way. What more could a thief hope for than to pass through life unseen? Perhaps it is a talent owed to the training of the notorious syndicate that reared her. Or it may be a gift from her invisible friend, a clever and capricious creature, who, unlike most invisible friends, has only grown more real with time. Either way, Elwin's unremarkability is about to fail her— Upon absconding to the tiny town of Amblewick in search of a quiet, uneventful life, she catches the attention of two feuding tricksters, each in the market for the perfect pawn. Through either fate or magical machinations, she soon finds herself in the company of a cutthroat assassin, a wayward prince, and a little girl with a chilling secret. Despite their differences, this ragtag group of ruffians just might manage to save multiple worlds, provided they don't kill each other first. So you said you work better as a pantser. Do you have an idea for, like, you said you have a four-book contract, right?
1: Yes, yes, and I do know the overall art. Uh, I've since learned that this is called the flashlight method, where you can... I, I used to, in my own weird little brain, call it the mountains above the fog (laughs) method (laughs) like you can see certain landmarks above the fog but everything else is just a gray haze Mm -hmm. um and so I knew what the mountains look like I knew you know important milestones for the characters important turning points in the plot but all of the little in between details I didn't know so Mm -hmm. um I'm still using that I use it for every book as well there's just certain places that I have to get to (laughs) that
0: makes sense I feel like that's pretty much what I've done for like the I know the next three novels what the like big what do you call it the climax I know what the climax of each novel is it's the (laughs) what else happens to get us there I don't know yet (laughs) and trying to figure out like I know this person's going to be involved but when are they going to get involved I don't know that yet either (laughs) (laughs) so you have how did the so you got the paperback and ebook out first and yes. then did your publisher handle the audiobook or did you do that?
1: They did. They handled the audiobook. Oh, I am so grateful for this publisher. I'm I'm a nervous person and they have been so wonderful um and knowledgeable and I didn't even know it was in negotiations for audiobooks until they told me. Um I think that I had very lucky timing because dreamscape audio just came out with their lore subdivision, which is, you know, really high fantasy and epic fantasy focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I wrote. Um, so I, it is a phenomenal audiobook. The narrator did an amazing job. I just am floored that I got that opportunity right out of the gates. <laughs> uh, did you get grateful. any say in any of it at all? Yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily or it wasn't something that they necessarily had to do, but my audiobook narrator was just really wonderful in that way. She asked for some pronunciation guides and she double-checked some things with me on the pronunciations and different kind of accents she wanted to use since there are a lot there's there are three worlds, each with different nations and cultures in them, so she uh-huh. did something like 30 accents for this book. Oh, gosh. <laughs> she, she is incredibly talented, um, because she managed to get one different for each of the side characters, too, right? It's all distinct voices. And that's tough to do, I think, in epic fantasy. Normally, um, if you're listening to, say, a Brandon Sanderson book, you have multiple voice actors that are taking on that uh-huh. task. Um, So yeah, she double checked a lot of those accents and voices with me before recording the whole thing.
0: I've had it um, a little bit of both ways. Where like I've I have um, some production companies that are like I I don't work with any like publishers directly. Directly, I just do through like ACX or publishing like audiobook publishing houses. Um, But like one of them is specific to like you know, reach out through us, don't reach out to the author directly, like, we'll be the, like, go-between kind of person, and then Mm -hmm. I have some that use, like, some smaller pub pubs that use ACX that'll be, like, um you know, reach out to the author to get any of your questions answered. Like, we're just we're just the people that picked your voice. Like, we don't have anything <laughs> to do with anything else. So, and they'll be like, hey, you know, if the author wants to, you know, approve the audio, like, listen to it as you go, that's fine and stuff like that. So, um, I'm, I'm familiar with the going around the publisher to talk to right. the authors. Um, also, if you're using ACX, there's this whole thing about, like, you um, or in, like, narrator groups, they'll, like, warn you against, like, apparently on that platform, um, any uh, person with an author account can go in and claim unclaimed ebooks or books and just say, like, oh, yeah, I want to make, you know, this is mine, this is, yeah, it's mine, don't worry about it, and just claim it and make an audiobook. So, like, I always reach out to, you know, Google the author's name and find their social media and, like, reach out to them that way just to make sure, like, they are aware someone's making an audiobook of their book. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's that's terrifying. I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I um in general, I don't like to waste my time. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, let me just I mean, it takes like less than five minutes usually to find, you know, Google their name, find their social media, send them a message. Um now I've had a few that they never responded back, but um for the most part, they respond back and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah, that's me. Thank you so much for reaching out. Um, because I'll say something in there like, you know, I want to protect me and you because like I don't want, you know, you to be out money for an audiobook or you get, you know, say someone gets you know, some person says that they own the audio rights and have an audiobook made, say they have a terrible narrator make it. Well, that looks bad on the author too. <laughs> so, you know, you've got this audiobook out there in the world of someone you didn't approve of or know was making your audio and now they're going to make money off of your book until you straighten things out I'm like no no I don't I don't want to be in the middle of that kind of a mess <laughs> so, yeah no so you have the the audiobook made did you I'm guess you said that's a lot man I can't even imagine 30 accents like
1: <laughs> that's so many to, to be fair some of them are kind of you know, in the same type of accent, like everybody in Resia has either Irish or Scottish accents, but there's, she does different inflections for each character. Things like that. OK, so 30 characters at least. Gosh, okay. I, I have a character inventing problem, <laughs> <laughs> a character inventing addiction.
0: Um, I have done over 120 characters before, nice. all in general American. So I don't think 30 is a, a problem at all. <laughs> I do appreciate the ones, though, that are like the character is only there because the character has to be there. Cause then I'm like, oh, that cuts down so much on. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like, you know, a story is a story. And if you, as the author, felt that it needed that many characters, then, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be like, no. <laughs> so, right. So you are. Towards the end of book two, are you going to like work to get the rest of this series out before you work on something new? Or do you have other ones in your brain already? I do have others in
1: the works. So um, since there was this two year gap between signing my book deal and releasing the book, I completed a few drafts of book two. And I also completed, um, I'm now querying a second series. So I, I completed the first book in that series as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, 2 years and you said you're writing like 6 hours a day.
1: <laughs> That's Well, I also do a lot or I did a lot of short stories in that time frame too for anthologies and okay, literary magazines and things like that. So it wasn't all just focused on those two manuscripts.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> so now that you're I know you promote on TikTok since I found you on there and you said Instagram is kind of your other place you promote.
1: I'm trying. That that interface is a little <laughs> bit more confusing for me. I'm not yeah. the most technologically adept person. So I do interact with people in there, but it's usually a they, they reach out first sort of thing. <laughs> um, and I try and post just updates on here's how book two is going along, or I have this event coming up, things like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am the worst social media marketer. I'm not going to say worst because I do consistently post like I post every day, but I post the same exact thing across every platform with the same hashtags and everything because I'm like, I don't have the time or energy to post what's supposed to be supposed to be, you know, whoever says that um, on each platform. I'm like, no, no, (laughs) I'm just going to post the same thing. And if it does well, it does well. And if it doesn't, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> People still follow me. I still get messages. I still get the spammy comments everybody else gets. Send it to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> so the Come next, back. is is the next series, also the one you're currently querying, is that one also fantasy or is it? It is.
1: It's a very different genre. So my first series is an incredibly lyrical hybrid between epic fantasy and dark fairy tale. Okay. Um and my second series is written in a Victorian literary voice and it is historical fantasy um with more of okay. a gothic tinge to it. So I, I definitely they both qualify under the umbrella of dark fantasy, but one is more Neil Gaiman dark fantasy and the other is more <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe meets Bram Stoker dark fantasy.
0: <laughs> I got to ask you, because I've never read Neil Gaiman, and my book has been compared in some parts to Neil Gaiman. What is it about Neil Gaiman? (laughs) Because I have no
1: idea. First off, uh, definitely give him a read. Um, It's the voice, I think, that is most distinctive with Neil Gaiman. He straddles the line between spooky and sweet really well in almost all of his books, and it's done in a very witty way. Um, okay. So if you have a heavy authorial voice that is very much like you're reading somebody a fairy tale before bedtime, that's probably the part that's getting compared to Neil Gaiman. Um, okay,
0: because it was not, like the
1: war a- scenes that was getting compared to him, <laughs> like which is interesting because she doesn't do a lot of quick action. Actually, there's there's not much quick action in Neil Gaiman's works.
0: Yeah, I don't know because the it was one of my beta readers had said it goes from like so the book starts it's christmas time based with the christmas songs and so it starts with like she's in her parents attic helping them decorate for christmas right well Mm -hmm. then she ends up in this fantasy world and there's war and stuff like that going on and so there's a couple of very disturbing christmas songs um i use little drummer (laughs) boy as a war scene i use there's one called the white winter hymnal that's like talks about they're wearing scarves to keep their heads from falling off into the snow. <laughs> and so it's that chapter specifically. She's like, you went from like, um, so in the drummer boy chapter, it's you know, she's never been to war before. She's from our world. She's just a normal 25 year old girl. So it goes from her kind of like freaking out that she's shooting arrows into people to. Now I have to, I'm fighting with blades on a horseback, but it's also her, like her second battle. So I'm like, it would make sense that she's freaking out in battle one, and then she's like, well, I've already done this, but it sucks in
1: battle two. <laughs> right. So- so I don't, you, I don't know. <laughs> you might just ask them what it is that reminds you. If they're, you said spader readers, right? So yes, you could probably yes. just ask them, hey, what about this reminds you of Neil Gaiman? <laughs> he has a lot of books out there. I couldn't just tell you from synopsis. Let's call it out. To uh, them,
0: well, and I don't know because he has so many books. I was trying to like search through his audio books to like see like, oh, we'll just listen to like a little bit of his thing, and I was. <laughs> I was like, this isn't helpful at all, because I don't even know which book she had in mind as she was commenting
1: that. So, I'm Right. Like, oh. And they do have different feels to them. So it, you might try Stardust. That one is the most, it's, to my knowledge, the only secondary world fantasy that he has. The others are all okay. contemporary fantasies um, or urban fantasies and things like that. Okay. So there might be more out there I don't know of. I try to read everything.
0: I I think (laughs) that's the one that I did start listening to the audiobook of.
1: I don't know. I don't know. I'm just
0: like... (laughs) I just think it's, I'm like, I'm getting compared to an author that I don't know. And I said something about that to another author, author friend of mine. And she's like, I've never read any of
1: his stuff either. So I have no idea. Oh my gosh. No, I'm he's, like, he's my favorite uh... author. The, the day that somebody finally put in the review that parts of my writing reminded them of Neil Gaiman was the day that I like danced around the living room singing for <laughs> hours. I was so excited. I get compared more often to uh, Holly Black and rachel gillig i believe that's how you pronounce it um okay. and so when somebody finally compared me to Neil Gaiman, i was who both
0: out. do <laughs> they both do fairy tale retellings don't they
1: um so it's not necessarily fairy tale retellings but they are fairy tales um okay. which is what mine is it's an original fairy tale it's not a retelling okay. of anything but it does pull from irish folklore a lot um okay. and scottish folklore um for instance one of the villains is very nearly a retelling of the tale of Stingy Jack, better known as Jack of the Lantern. Um, But that's not a very commonly known story and it definitely wouldn't qualify as a retelling because she only has a tiny little role in the book. (laughs) Okay.
0: Yeah. So I've had to stay away from any retellings that I know are going to be part of my series. So like there's a really popular, Mm -hmm. I think it's K.F. Breen Mm -hmm. has a Beauty and the Beast series. And I have it and I really want to read it because I've heard it's good. Um, but because my overarching, you know, all all of the fairy tale characters in my story are in pretty much all of the books, so I'm trying to avoid any fairy tale retellings right. that are from you don't my want book.
1: The influence. Exactly. I'm the same way. I have never actually read Holly Black, except for I think I read some of the Spiderwick Chronicles as a kid. Um, but I haven't read Holly Black, and that's the one that I compare to a lot because I don't want to read anything else with pay in it because I'm worried <laughs> it'll influence me, especially if it's um, if if it's more intrigue and dark fantasy than it is romance which is where i am at which is apparently mm-hmm. where holly Buck is at so <laughs> um yeah i have I can't read her yet.
0: Uh, what is the series of hers it's a ya series i have um I haven't read Holly Black either, but I have one of her series that I haven't read because I think it is also loosely based on Beauty and the Beast. So when I finish my series in a few
1: years, I have a read lot of books to celebrate when one. I'm done with my series. of actually reading the Cruel Prince series because everybody that's says the that one, I love yeah. it, and I believe them that I would love it. I just can't read it yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's the one. Now I do have some other retellings. I have the. Uh, guild gleam gold that series um i can't think of the author's name on that one but that one's a like king midas oh interesting thing that will have absolutely nothing to do with my book um all of the now technically the first emily mcintyre book in her series the hooked um they are involved in my series but i read that before i knew that so <laughs> the other books are all like uh it's the lion scarred is the lion king retelling i don't have the lion i she is a genius with how she like does things in her books but i'm like yeah lion king i wouldn't even have any idea how to turn that into people um, and then she has, like, Wizard of Oz, which I have no intentions to use that one in my story. And then the other two are, like, Hunchback of Notre Dame and Aladdin, I think, is the okay. la- one of them. Um, yeah, that's also not in my my series at all, so I'm like, we're safe. We don't need to use—we <laughs> can read the rest of the series. But the way that she used Peter Pan and Hooked is a completely different way that I'm using Peter Pan in mine. Um— and at, at the point that I read that book, I only knew Beauty and the Beast were involved. so <laughs> anyways, we we do what we have to um've <laughs> I've kind of always loved retel- like retellings or inspired buys of fairy tales because we all know for the most part all of us know like all these stories because Disney did a good job of making them huge. Um, okay. But just seeing, like, the twist, the first series I remember reading was the Lunar Chronicles, where they're all, like, bionic and stuff. Um, Marissa Meyer is the author on that one. And just, like, I remember reading okay. that a few years ago and just being like, you can do this with that story? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> so, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received and the worst piece of advice you've ever received
1: I'll start with the worst because it was really (laughs) well-meaning but it it leads into the best advice okay so the worst advice I'd ever received was my very first beta reader who is a wonderful person who I still work with um had learned a lot of tips and tricks for writing very modern novels and i'm not writing in a modern style but i was new and didn't know know the difference really okay um so that person had advised that i reduce the number of like instances of the word was be less passive be closer and deeper into the characters when i was writing a distant third kind of archaic fairy tale uh so i did obey her advice and then the manuscript felt wrong the entire way, and I had to go back and undo it oh, no. um, and put everything back the way it was because <laughs> those those tricks work would have worked really really well in a modern novel, and mm-hmm. they did not work well in the style that I was writing in. Right. Uh, which leads into the best advice that I've gotten, which is know what voice you are going for, know what mm-hmm. what you want to sound like, um, and and stick with tips and tricks that work for that genre and that voice and that style Mm -hmm. so you're not you're not going to necessarily find the same value in things that work really well for other authors and there may be things that work for you that no other author would touch with a 10-foot pole (laughs) so um it's all about learning what you want to go for
0: yeah that probably the hardest editing thing that i had so my book is first person present tense except for the journal entries which are first person past tense because it's a journal entry so you're writing what happened in that day or week or month or whatever right and at the very end of the book there was one journal entry and the editor's like p.s this entire thing is written in present tense (laughs) and so i had to go in and (laughs) make it all past tense and i'm like I don't know how no one caught that until now. <laughs> it is what it is. So yeah, that that makes sense unless you do something really complicated like me and have some in present and some in past. <laughs> All first person though. I don't, while I don't, as far as reading books, first person, third person, it, it doesn't matter to me when I'm reading a book, but for writing the way that my brain works, I'm like, I could not write in third person because that's not how my brain thinks of the words <laughs> so I'm like I'm experiencing it through the eyes of the characters while I'm writing it so that's you know I did this and I did that that's how I th- like in my own brain when I'm thinking throughout my day that's how my brain is I'm doing this and I'm doing that so
1: I think I'm I'm very much the opposite in that way <laughs> it is a struggle I've had to just- force myself to write a couple of stories in first person just to get the skill down um, mm-hmm. because it's all about third person past tense. I would write I would write omniscient if I was talented enough, but <laughs> I think that's reserved for the greats like Terry Pratchett. Uh, I... um, someday.
0: <laughs> the same editing lady that I was talking about that does the tips and tricks on TikTok, she did one about the omniscient and how basically you have to write your story where you think all the clues and things need to be and then completely tear it apart and redo it and all this and i'm like that sounds like way too much work no No, thank you (laughs) i'm like yeah no i don't i don't think i could ever pull the i mean like never say never but like it sounds like a lot of work
1: (laughs) it's just i think that it clicks more easily like you said your brain naturally thinks in first person and that's very hard mm-hmm. for me so I think that it just has to do with how our brains work whether or not that is complicated or simple um because yeah I one of the reasons that I didn't know that I wanted to be a writer for so long was because so much is written in this like this first person present this very real and visceral in the moment way that my brain doesn't necessarily comprehend so necessarily mm-hmm. so even though I love those stories I really do um I wasn't I was thinking of it as these are books that just magically appear on a shelf, right? Because my brain doesn't work that way. And so this is me entering another world through this magical leather-bound portal. And then when I read books by, say, C.S. Lewis or Neil Gaiman, I the way that the prose worked was the way my brain worked Um, Mm -hmm. and so I realized that there are actual people writing these books and that I could maybe do it too
0: (laughs) yeah very very well-known people when you're talking those two
1: names (laughs) right right (laughs) and I mean I read a lot of C.S. Lewis growing up but I didn't Mm -hmm. read Neil Gaiman until I was in my 20s and then I'm like oh this reminds me of things and maybe there are (laughs) maybe there is a connection here all right, well, thank you so much for having me on today. Sorry for all of the, the rambling. Normally I get a cup of coffee in beforehand.
0: You're fine. I uh, also rambled on this one. so <laughs> People will just have to put up with the rambling. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your Saturday. Thank you and have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Lila based parts of her book on the legend of Stingy Jack. Today, we'll be reading that story. Don't forget, we're reading Les Mortes d'Arthur, the story of King Arthur and of his noble knights of the round table on our Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. This is the legend of Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack was a miserable old drunk who loved playing tricks on anyone and everyone. One dark Halloween night, Jack ran into the devil himself in a local public house. Jack tricked the devil by offering his soul in exchange for one last drink. The devil quickly turned himself into a sixpence to pay the bartender, but Jack immediately snatched the coin and deposited it into his pocket, next to a silver cross that he was carrying. Thus, the devil could not change himself back, and Jack refused to allow the devil to go free until the devil had promised not to claim Jack's soul for ten years. The devil agreed. And ten years later, Jack again came across the devil while out walking on a country road. The devil tried collecting what he was due, but Jack, thinking quickly, said, I'll go, but before I do, will you get me an apple from that tree? The devil, thinking he had nothing to lose, jumped up into the tree to retrieve an apple. As soon as he did, Jack placed crosses all around the trunk of the tree, thus trapping the devil once again. This time, Jack made the devil promise that he would not take his soul when he finally died. Seeing no way around his predicament, the devil grudgingly agreed. When stingy Jack eventually passed away several years later, he went to the gates of heaven, but was refused entrance because of his life of drinking and because he had been so tight-fisted and deceitful. So Jack then went down to hell to see the devil and find out whether it were possible to gain entrance into the depths of hell. The devil kept the promise that had been made to Jack years earlier and would not let him enter. But where can I go? asked Jack. Back to where you came from, replied the devil. The way back was windy and very dark. Stingy Jack pleaded with the devil to at least provide him with a light to help find his way. The devil, as a final gesture, tossed Jack an ember straight from the fires of hell. Jack placed the ember in a hollowed-out turnip one of Jack's favorite foods, which he always carried around with him whenever he could steal one. From that day forward, Stingy Jack has been doomed to roam the Earth without a resting place and with only his lit turnip to light the way in the darkness. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week for ML's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands, and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.